Greetings fellow wanderers in the fourth dimension, you're listening to The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. I am the wandering Armageddon peddler known as Mike, with me as always and never trusting a man as wears a hat is Emma. Too right. And joining us once again, having somehow unbuttoned his shirt even though his arms are tied behind a pillar, it's Rick! Snake Muppets! Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he just flexed his enormous pecs and the buttons just popped off, which is what happened. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, our summer of Baker continues with Image of the Fendal. Yay! <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> oh. oh no. Go on then. Right, make... so we start in our, start in our customary manner of uh, me and Mike love it, and Rick thinks it's rubbish. Let's get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that may be a little harsh, but I will say okay. that it, it, it makes Mask of Mandragora seem like Shakespeare. Oh man. I mean, it's basically the same story. Uh, kind of. Yeah. Humanity. I mean, humanity, or, or certain people at a certain time trying to bring in what they think is a god, but is really an invading alien. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> I mean, I will say, but what, what I will say about the image of the Fendel is that you're right. I mean, it is basically every. I mean, every kind of um, story which is the human precursor, race, memory, ancient aliens, um, explanation for superstition type episode is essentially distilled down into Image of the Fendel. It is kind yeah. of the the episode that takes all those bits and pieces and sticks it all in one go. So basically, like you say, Musk and Dragora, the demons, mm-hmm. um, all, all sorts of those type of stories. Um, yeah, really, they really just go throw everything in. I mean, because in, in this story, you get explanation for pentagrams, why salt is important in rituals uh why some people are precognitive uh actual projection fear of the number 13 um on and on and on and on <laughs> i mean it really is sort of like all of these things and more you can find in image of the fendal but fundamentally i really like image of the fendal. it's basically take the contents of my brain and empty it out and then you get image of the fendal unfortunately i think because <laughs> I, I i i every, all that sort of stuff all that because at the time it was made, um, it, it's kind of a reaction to Hammer Horror and Quatermass and Eric Von Daniken, Chariot of the Gods type stuff mm-hmm. is reflected in this. And it's an immense character flaw of mine, but I love all that shit. So um, <laughs> I, I do too. And, you know, I, 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 I didn't hate it. Okay. Um, right. And as my notes go on, as you know, I think the last, the second half of you know the the last two episodes are much better than the first two. Um, and you know, the story is very Lovecraftian, which mm-hmm. appeals to me a great deal. Um, and I've said this before, and I know that this is a failing, if you want to call it that, or a a, a condition of the format of Doctor Who in its you know first what forty years that they have to stretch these things out to four episodes. I think if this was one 60, maybe 80 minute story with all of the god awful padding edited out, I think it would have been a, a nice tight story. Although, you know, again, you know, when we watched Horror Fang Rock and I admitted that I had done the Rutan wrong in my memory, um, you know, I know that we have to give a lot of leeway for just absolutely no budget to make these things, but. 
the Fendaline were so utterly ludicrous uh, that it just not only was it not scary, it was comical when they were on the screen. And, and they just, I, I wish they had taken a page out of Steven Spielberg's book and just went, let's just not see them. <laughs> or maybe, maybe a smoke machine might help, you know? <laughs> I, I like the design of the Fendaline. <laughs> yeah, I quite like them. I mean, cause um, we've got a, we've got a little, uh, we've got a little bottle here at home of the Fendaline. And yeah, I think they're, they're quite, I quite like them. I yeah. don't know if it's because because uh, I'm just used to them. I guess I, I suppose I'd like when when obviously I've seen this episode a bunch. Um, I just I kind of look forward to them popping up, and I, I'm yeah. It's kind of um, I put them in the same category of why I like the Cybermats, which are fundamentally stupid ideas, but I still quite like them. Um, yeah, I just think because they're so weird and um, unlike a lot of other. A, you know, kind of forehead aliens that you get yeah. otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'll I, grant I appreciate you... that there's something different. Yeah, I'll grant you that. Um, I just, you know, what killed it for me were were the pink streamers coming out of the thing's mouths. Uh, and you know, and maybe it's a a a a problem of higher definition televisions not doing them any favors. Yeah, but that might hmm. be it. Yeah. Yeah. It just it was just so clearly, you know, there's a fan in there. And, <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, you, you, you definitely know they just like on the set yeah. and everyone was trying to <laughs> trying to act really scared of them. But um, I try to give, you know, it, as much suspension of disbelief as I can. But just like in the caves of Andrazani with that that, you know, that rock monster bird thing that looked like something that even a Godzilla movie would would reject um sometimes I just can't do it <laughs> this was well, one of those times that it just you know a for effort but my god the execution was just so crappy and that was kind of my feeling of the whole episode uh I you know it could have been great for me um and there, you know I I love Mrs. Taylor is that her name Mrs. yeah Mrs. Tyler, oh, Tyler sorry. Yeah. Yeah. um yeah you know, she her her performance. She was like, um, oh, the old guy in horror at Fang Rock. Uh, mm. You know, just you could you, <clears throat> excuse me. You know that these actors are used to doing quote unquote quality stuff, and here yeah. they are in this you know silly little fluff show, but they give it their all. Mm. Whereas the dude that played Colby. <laughs> I was praying for him to get a bullet, and it just never happened. <laughs> in fact, I, w- I want to read you something that I wrote down uh, in the middle, uh, towards the end of the last episode. And this is something you don't generally hear from me. Quote from my notes: "Colby's a cunt." Unquote. <laughs> Woo! Spicy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, you with 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 Doctor Who in, in this period, especially, you can always kind of it's it's not as bad as it sometimes becomes later seventies and eighties, where people who because Doctor Who's been around for a long time, people start doing what I would call inverted commas Doctor Who acting, mm. which is kind of like they feel like they need to be like like it's in a pantomime or something. They're like kind of big and yeah. you know kind of react sort of reacting oddly to the thing. So I mean, but in this time period, actor you know guest actors are still um treating the material seriously and mm-hmm. and treating it as a drama where fantastical things happen so like a quater mass for instance yeah. um and yeah i think that 
you're quite right, Rick, in a lot of these cases where a lot of other things would let the show down, the quality of the acting kind of push keeps pushing it forward. I mean, in, in, indeed, I mean, because we've got Benedict Cumberbatch's lovely mum mm-hmm. here as uh, Thea Ransom. Um, oh, is that who that is? That is, yeah. yes. It's I, I felt so um, bad for her because, mm-hmm. it, you know, she was just obviously able to do much more and her character was just so poorly written (laughs) you know all she got to do was stare into the camera and hold her head and 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 then be a handy victim and and she does nothing to to fight back (laughs) when she ah you know like super chloroform (laughs) it's like Oh, I you know I, I did like some stuff about this episode. And I don't want to just shit on it for for nine you know forty minutes or so, but um, like I thought the skull was awesome. I'd love to know what they cast that skull out of because I love the way it glowed, but it didn't look like it should glow before it did, which mm-hmm. that's a trick. You know, a lot of times you'll see something. You go, oh, I'll bet there's a light inside that thing. Um, this whatever resin they used, uh, you know, it looked totally opaque until they lit it up. I was very impressed with that. Um, I, Leela, I, I will be ra- raving about Leela anytime we talk about her because, uh, I, I think I just need to go back and start rewatching her episodes because I, I honestly forgot how awesome she is. Um, yeah, as I, was, I will say when you get to the Invisible Enemy, please don't yell at us. But, um, it's, <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, she, she is really, I mean, unfortunately, I think I mentioned this last time when we, when we did Fang Rock, uh, that I think leela gets kind of overlooked a bit for some mm. reason i don't know why you she doesn't really come up on lists of like you know, like 10 top 10 companions or That's people's criminal. favorites but that is it's naughty because she's so good and louise jameson really i mean what i really like about louise jameson is that i i think that it comes across in her performance that she's really thought about leela's internal life if you see what i mean like really what what her life was like and her beliefs and the way that she carries herself and the way that from from day one when she met the doctor till when she leaves um kind of how that would change her and i think that yeah she's obviously spent a lot of time on finding character within herself and constructing her internal monologue if you like and i think that that really comes across in the performance Mm mm-hmm Oh yeah, I, I uh, sorry. I'm trying to look up something uh, that I meant to do yesterday. Uh, it's not coming up. Never mind. It doesn't really matter. Um, I was trying to find out when Doctor Who first aired in in South Florida uh, because <sighs> this is going to be very piggish. But you have to remember how old I was when we first saw this show, and so this was. I was kind of flashing back to this the whole time. I was kind of glad that she was back in her lovely little skimpy barbarian outfit. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, that's fair. I mean, to be fair, that outfit is basically just three chamois leathers sewed together. So, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's it's natural. I mean, you know, I'm a heterosexual woman, but every so often I watch it, I go, oh, okay, hi. And, um, <laughs> you know, your, your brain just goes, oh, no, 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 withdraw that thought, withdraw. It's it's dirty. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's not just you, I will say. <laughs> and it's not wrong, so to speak, because mm. it was done, it was, it wow. was... It was framed that way, in a way, mm-hmm. because the when Doctor Who was on, I mean, because they've said this many times, when Doctor Who was on at this time, it was tea time, kind of like 5.30 before Match of the Day starts, uh, which is sort of the football road roundup program here, and um, they want to keep the dads interested, so... 
Stick her in that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love that she knows Kirk Fu. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, chop. <laughs> the double, the double, the double hand fist uh, back to the back of the neck uh, knockout punch is uh, <laughs> my favourite move of Kirk Fu. But mm-hmm. uh, well, I mean, she hasn't got a shirt to rip off, so she can't emulate that part. So that's true. Yeah, yeah I always like the uh, awkward flying kick. Oh yes, the awkward flying kick is yeah. is excellent. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's a great story that Shatner tells of, and this is from the early days, so this was before he started kind of rewriting his own legend, uh, <laughs> where he was. It was during the filming of of West, and he was in a bar or something, and a fight broke out or somebody. He he was involved in a physical altercation, and he tried to do that. He did the flying <laughs> drop kick and just bounced <laughs> off the dude. <laughs> <laughs> Now, see, these days it would probably be the kick connected and the dude went flying out the window. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, oh, something Leela said that I, oh, I love the bit, and I think it was in the in the, the third or fourth episode, where, uh, oh, it was, it was the beginning of the, of the last one, when she, she gets him out of the, away from holding on to the skull, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you know, there's that amusing bit of, you're very heavy, <laughs> get off of me, um, but then the doctor starts kicking himself and she switches into mother mode and it was brilliant mm. because the, the like you said, Louise Jameson's acting is flawless because there's there's some close ups of her where she's like, you know, don't beat yourself up. It's not your fault. And it's not condescending. She's lit. She's actually concerned for his emotional well-being. Mm. And she also realizes that. The doctor, for all of his, you know, hundreds of years of age and, and superpowers, is just a big baby, and she needs to treat him like that. It was <laughs> wonderful. Mm. I sort of wonder about those TARDIS scenes, because I think Chris Boucher, uh, the writer, said that there wasn't enough material for four parts. And the, oh, the, really? <laughs> <laughs> and the TARDIS scenes in... in in like parts three and four, sort of like you do get the feeling they was like slotted in because they're uh, so like disconnected from one another. Like this yeah. one where it starts off with Lily's on the floor all of a sudden. Oh, I, I'm in my notes here. I'm like the descent into incoherence. And what was the editor on? <laughs> because the they did that a couple of times where it'd be like mm-hmm. they'd be in the middle of a conversation. Yep. And cutting away in the middle of a conversation is not unusual, but it would be like just a really weird place in the conversation and they'd never go back. Mm. And there was, and that was, you know, one of the more glaring ones. Uh, they're talking about how to, how to drive the TARDIS or, or whatever. And then all of a sudden Leela's on the floor, but she gets up like she took a nap just on the floor in the middle of the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it starts off with this, like this, the sound effect of the fan Fendal. So it's quite like, okay, did she get knocked unconscious or something or, what happens? It's just like suddenly she's on the floor. It's like, uh, okay, what? Huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, but I love the bit at the hmm. beginning where she's given about not being able to drive the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what puzzled me about this one mm-hmm. is, especially after you know watching it after Horror Fang Rock, um, I had to go back and check the order of things because it really felt like this was Leela second outing on the TARDIS. The way he was talking to her and, and, you know, the way she was talking about things and wanting to kill everybody at the last, you know, at every drop of a hat. And and 
But no, this was right in the middle of her tenure, which was mm-hmm. it just seemed a little odd to me. I, th- I think it must be sort of when you've got like all sorts of different people writing um, mm. for her. It, also, you've got to sort of maybe take into consideration when the story is commissioned. So obviously, it, when this opens, um, there's a scene of the Doctor working on K9. Like, yeah. like, he's broken. But, in broadcast order, K9 only joined the crew at the end of the previous episode, which is, which is the Invisible Enemy. Um, so, he had to be, like, that had to be slotted in um, to maintain continuity. Uh, so, you know, for all we know, this could have been commissioned, like, the year before, um, yeah. when they were still trying to find their way with Leela. Yeah, because I mean, what I mean, because it happens now. The most recent example being in um, series two of the revived um, of the revived series, mm. uh, when you have problems with how Mickey and Rose are oh. written because oh, of the yeah, way yeah. they interact with each other, uh, it doesn't marry up because uh, basically, as you will know, I mean, it happens with Star Trek and all sorts of other series that. That some of them will be written with basically just the script bible so you know this is Leela this yeah. is what she does and this is what the doctor is at the moment and then there are others that are written with the perspective of a bunch of other scripts and the broadcast show so you have kind of a disparity between kind of sort of continuity wise what happens between character interactions and kind of what the character thinks so I think that they're you know Image of the Fendale was uh, for Leela anyway was somewhat written with her just like you know she's a, a savage from a tribe of, that was lost many years ago and all this sort of thing so you know it, it it kind of doesn't marry up with other things that we've seen so yeah I mean it still happens now which is somewhat irritating so mm-hmm. yeah, uh, like yeah. Bill. <laughs> well quite so yeah I will, will say I've got to kind of indulge my kind of tedious continuity uh, person in this one because this is the basis for some of the, the Cyberman lore as well all the destruction of this this planet mm-hmm. um, yeah because oh is that what um, the fifth planet stuff yeah, is about okay yeah uh, because in the solar system in Doctor Who world there are there's obviously the nine planets that we know including Pluto at this mm-hmm. point because Pluto is still a planet then you have this lost planet that gets destroyed and is between Mars and Jupiter and you sort of assume that that's because the asteroid belt is there now that's the remains of it and then there's also Mondas mm-hmm. right yep. and that was and in our solar system yeah Mondas was in our solar system it was, in, it was our twin planet oh okay mm-hmm. and then it gets lost and and the moon's an egg. What's the other one? And moon's an egg. Yeah. Well, it wasn't an egg at this point, but <laughs> it, they do count it. So because there's like fourteen in Doctor Who, there's like fourteen planets in mm-hmm. our <laughs> in our solar system. Yeah. What's the other one? I'm missing one. Ah, uh, question. Kind of think. Shit. What is it? Nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Because there's a taking a planet for fourteen, isn't there? That's what yeah, novel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, what is it? I'm going to look this up. Hang on. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because basically, Rick, so basically, Mondas, where the Cybermen come from, in the, is this, in, in Doctor Who continuity, is Earth's twin planet, um, and had uh, had humans on it as well, and they sort of developed in, in tandem as such. But then on Mondas, things went wrong, and as a result, the Cybermen are created. Ah, and then okay. It gets now removed I understand your... System. 
Now I understand your references to Mondasian Cybermen. Yes, the Telosian and Mondasian Cybermen, because there's some of the Cybermen go to a planet called Telos, mm-hmm. uh, and those are basically then there's two separate, I don't want to say races of Cybermen, but kind of. So there's the Telosian Cybermen and the Mondasian Cybermen, and the Mondasian Cybermen are the ones we see at the end of the latest series of Doctor Who. Okay, so according to the TARDIS wikia, the planets yeah. um, enlisted in the solar system are Cassius, Earth, Jupiter, Mercury, Macorba's world, Mondas, Neptune, Omega, Planet 14, Planet 5, uh, Pluto, Saturn, is, yeah. Sedna, Thea, Uranus, uh, Venus, and Vulcan. Right, okay, that's, yeah, so there's loads, Quite and they're all confusing, <laughs> yeah. Well, Sedna's real anyway. <laughs> so that was basically, the, the, you know, from, from this... Because Chris Boucher, who wrote this, went on and did a load of other stuff outside of Doctor Who, but kind of cherry-picked some bits, like, Mm -hmm. because he made Blake 7 as well, so there's some bits from Blake 7, which kind of, um, there's some bits and pieces, like, just kind of ideas that end up in that, and he wrote a load of um, uh, stuff that turned out to be all day plays for Blake 7, which kind of link in a bit, and... You've got, because he wrote Robots of Death, another one as well. He wrote a big load like of spin-offs one. about that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and also David Banks, who I've kind of referenced before, who was um, played cyber leaders in the 80s, wrote a, a really boring book about <laughs> the origins of the Cybermen. Um, and, yeah, it, it takes quite a, lo- quite a lot of um, this as well. So it kind mm. of all got retrospectively <laughs> folded into a lot of really boring continuity stuff so <laughs> mm-hmm. uh yeah that's where a lot of that comes from so well i'm glad we cleared up one thing at least about the about um <laughs> the cybermen i suppose yeah <laughs> i i did get a kick out of I, I laughed when when uh when the doctor was like fendelman is that really your name um but then of course that ties in later on and it's not funny anymore <laughs> mm. <laughs> but, uh <laughs> Because I was just like Fendelman, really? For, uh, okay. <laughs> and what the hell was he? Was his accent supposed to be? Um, German, Spanish? I couldn't he, tell. It's sort of he is a native of Foreignlandia. Ah. Yes, yeah. Sean Connery's accent from Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> Although yeah. I kept thinking, am I the only one that thought he looked like Hugo Weaving with a mustache? <laughs> um. I, I think that might just be you. Yeah. That might be me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, two things about the super secret laboratory. Maybe a lock on the door would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, how long have they been working there? And n- neither Colby nor Thea ever went into this room that the two other guys spent so much time in and it was absolutely not locked. Um, and at the beginning, they established that Dr. Fendel and the other guy whose name I can't remember. Um, Style. Style, that's it. Style. Um, <laughs> Style. It takes both of them many steps to turn the machine on, except it doesn't later. Because <laughs> <laughs> then Thea goes in and turns it on with one button. And uh, <laughs> and Colby does later on, too. Well, I mean, that's just sort of dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they, they, they could have just like, left it on standby mode, you know. You just like put it to oh, sleep. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just put it to sleep. Yeah. I did do it. We were going to talk about um, Fendelman and style a bit because um, I, was, I was quite fascinated by um, Style's character in this one because, yeah, he's trying to abuse the power 
um, the the tapping into to become a god. But like you sort of, there's I always get this sort of undercurrent that again, this is just part of the Fendel's machinations. Like it, it's having an influence on everything that's going around Fresh Priory, not just you know the the ancestral line of Doctor Fendelman or it possessing Thea. Um, and and all sorts of like there's a lot of like permeance of evil surrounding the Fendal core, which I really like. Well, yeah, that was very that that was the Lovecraftian part of it mm-hmm. was you know especially the the fact that it goes very badly for style. Um, it be, you know that's in in Lovecraft stories a lot. You have a lot of human agents either summoning or opening the doors for the great old ones. And then mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're the first thing on the menu when they get there. Um, Which is interesting because the great old ones are actually part of Doc two continuity. They kind of nick them and put them in. Um, hmm. They, they turn up in the, um, in the seventh doctor stories, like the, the books oh, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. The, the great old ones are, are referenced uh, more than once. So yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that Lovecraft, because it's out of copyright and such, is just basically wholesale poached by a lot of different people. Um, so, I mean, I've got to say that even, I, I, I kind of say this to people that even if you kind of really don't, I mean, obviously H.P. Lovecraft was a, a dreadful person from top to bottom, but um, like you don't necessarily read his stories if it's not your bag, but you will if you're a sci-fi fan and also if you happen to like metal like i do you will get so much more out of it if you if you know anything about lovecraft because so many people nick wholesale the the great old ones or the elder gods um and a lot of the ideas of this thing of you know great evil and they having acolytes on earth and people and this other thing that lovecraft did with people who sort of artists and writers are sensitive to these things and have mm-hmm. dreams about it and things like yeah. that um loads of people use these ideas so you will get with an understanding of lovecraft's kind of tropes even you get so much more out of a lot of properties because they just used the ideas in them mm-hmm. well yeah and, and like you said i i just recently uh listened to like a 14 hour long audible compilation of lovecraft stories um and man the man was racist beyond going oh, oh so it was his bad. time um, so bad but the stories are you know his writing style and also one thing i i think that's most valuable for for reading about reading lovecraft um because by modern standards he's not scary at all um you know the the stuff that you'll see or read about in a Lovecraft story, you'll probably see in Goosebumps. You know, it's, it's, they're not in any way scary anymore, but they give you a window into the mindset of especially Americans on the precipice of the, of the, the science age hmm. because kind of the fundamental terror behind most of Lovecraft's things is that Earth went in you know less than a century... Earth went from being the center of the universe, not necessarily physically, but, you know, people thinking that they were, you know, the sole creation of God and and the supreme beings, Mm -hmm. short of the supreme being, to just one teeny little speck in a giant, frozen, uncaring, antithetic universe. Mm. And, you know, that's when, when he starts talking about things like finding... Uh, you know, hewn blocks of of stone that are unfathomably ancient beneath the sands of Australia. Um, 
you know, the first time I read that that kind of stuff when I was in college and I was, uh, you know, in high school and stuff, I was like, why, why would that be so scary? Uh, and then after reading more of his stories, I started to understand it was the, you know, the, the fact that there were things so ancient that were obviously created by intelligence that no one could understand. That was the, the root of the terror was we are no longer the dominant species in the universe. Mm. In fact, we're no longer just the only species in the universe. We are food. We are less than food. We are the things that get in the way of those things getting their food. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, I, I read Lovecraft for the almost more of the historical co- context than anything else. Because his stories are very repetitive if you, if you read a lot of them. Uh, you know, he had certainly had his his tropes, and there were times when he was far more graphic than I re- had remembered him being. Uh, the the uh, the reanimator uh, stuff is pretty, you know, pretty gross. Really in your face for for someone writing in the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> yeah, um, like the, the, I, I saw the first one I remember reading. I think as actually I went straight into the madness of mountains of madness and. Um, it wasn't until because I got like a nice uh, penguin edition somewhere. Where mm-hmm. is it on my shelf? And um, <laughs> what um, what it sort of because it has kind of like uh, you know reading notes and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And um, in it, it was kind of like well, you got to remember when when he wrote this, there were even put massive portions of the earth which were unexplored. You know, so right. yeah. uh, so. Where he's writing about, you know, people going to the Arctic and finding all this weird shit and six foot tall penguins and all this sort of thing. <laughs> for all he knew, that's what was there. Yeah. For yeah. real. So that's that's kind of what you have to remember about. I mean, because what you're saying is quite right, Rick. But I mean, even sort of terrestrially, there were just enormous swathes of the Earth. We had no idea what was there. Hmm. So, um, yeah, it's it, it kind of all folds back into. Um, the ancient alien stuff which is kind of something that was really trendy when this was written as well because it was the 70s and yeah. when chariot of the gods came out mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of an idea that won't let go of people it's demonstrably horseshit but um <laughs> like you know it's what the history channel is kind of now it's bread and butter is the ancient alien stuff that fundamentally eric von daniken kind of thought that because um he kind of came it as the premise that you know earth was kind the humans on earth were just kind of just dumb idiot cavemen shambling about mm-hmm. and couldn't possibly and then suddenly according to him we had complex burial sites and you know pyramids and monuments and that so it must can't have been us it mm. must have been something from the outside and this is an idea that just won't go away oh i i read chariots of the gods when I was, I think maybe thirteen, something like that, maybe maybe even younger, and I ate that shit up. And then, uh, uh, are you all familiar with the 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 American PBS show called Nova? I've heard of it. Yes. Okay. They they are Nova is a, a science show. It's been running for years. I mean, decades uh, on our on PBS, which are, I guess would be our equivalent of the BBC. Uh, it's you know. State run makes it sound more sinister than it is. It's public yeah. <laughs> television. Um, you know, they get some tax dollars um, in the form of grants and stuff, but they're mo- they're they're all you know it's not supported by advertising. Um, so they do much more, or they used to anyway. Uh, that's where you would find. That's where I watched Doctor Who uh, mm-hmm. for the you know it was on PBS because 
British shows were cheap. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, so that you know they would buy them up, and that's you know where Monty Python would air, and Doctor Who, and Are You Being Served, and Good Neighbors, and and the goodies. Uh, I think it wasn't until MTV came along when then we got the the oh why I'm, the with Viv and Rick and Adrian. Oh, the young ones. Oh, well, the young young ones. ones thank you. Uh, you know that. That was more like one of the first British shows to be somewhere other than PBS <laughs> over here. <laughs> and I don't think PBS would have touched that with a 10-foot pole. Um, but uh, the Nova one time, they did a show where they basically took Von Daniken's book and went, all right, time to shred this piece of shit. <laughs> 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 and they went through and just bit by bit went, yeah, you see where he says this? This is bullshit, and this is why. And you see where he says this picture is a, is an astronaut on this Aztec burial cover? Well, here's 40,000 other drawings like that on other stuff that has nothing to do with astronauts. That's just the way they drew people. And, <laughs> and you say that if you add this, this, and this measurement of the pyramid and divide it by this, and it gives you the distance to this star, well, here's a can of soda. We're going to do the same thing if we plug the right numbers into it. <laughs> you know, it's just... It was just bit by bit, and and as young as I was, I was like, "Wow, that didn't take much work at all, did it?" Mm. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's it, well, it's basically led to flat Earth Earthers mm. now, essentially. Yeah. It, what I think. I mean, it's not his fault, but you know, it, it kind of is because, <laughs> um, yeah, it's why well, we have he's... tedious memes on Facebook about you know if the Earth is round, why this? Oh my God, just can't be bothered. Yeah. Um, now back to the show. <laughs> yeah, well, um, <laughs> I did enjoy the the hammer esque ending when Thea became sort of that goddess creature. Mm-hmm. But again, it was a matter of you know if they hadn't had to make the the whole thing twenty plus minutes long, because after a while I was just like, how many times are we going to see her fade in and out of the room, wave her arms around, and then fade out again? Uh, it was just so clear that they didn't have enough story to fill four episodes. Mm. I think um, the fan that I'll call, as uh, Theo's the fan that I'll call, are sort of, in a way, it doesn't work because there's no dialogue. But at the same time, I think, didn't Chris Boucher write um, Face of Evil? Was that one of his as well? Because I think he, he wrote, it's, he, I remember him saying something like, it's very difficult to write dialogue for God. And that was a problem they had when they were writing for Zoan and the evil computer in um, Face of Evil. So it's a lot more effective that, you know, it is sort of like just um, her presence. Rather yeah, than... but there, there wasn't, I mean, in, in, the, in the pentagram room. Mm. Yeah, she doesn't do a lot. She no, just... she just stands there and waves her arms around and then... And and that's that's fine. That that wasn't my problem. Is that she wasn't doing anything? Mm-hmm. It was just they kept repeating her. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like out. when in the demons, when you know, as our finally turns up, and you're like, oh, cool. Okay, do something. No, yeah. you're just gonna stand there. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like here's the climax. Bang. And oh shit, there's still ten more minutes of the episode yeah. to go. <laughs> well, I mean, to, no. to, to be fair to the fans, I'll call. If you've woken up after twelve million years, you're probably going to be a bit slow on the uptake, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I, I, okay, I would. Turn it's a lot of information. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of I, information. 
I did get a kick out of when when the doctor and Leela came down the stairs, and there's the the one Fendaline there, <laughs> and they just start throwing bottles of salt at it, and yeah, then but... absolutely nothing changes, and they go, "Okay, we can go by." Now. <laughs> <laughs> It's only stunned. <laughs> that, was it? I'm trying to remember. Is it Pain um, of the fjords? Pain of the fjords. Um, I, but when, but then when they left, when they ran out, and Leila chucks that one over her, her back. shoulder. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah, a that's good one. Right. Yeah, I like. Is, is it? Is it Tom or is it uh, Louise who nearly takes out the fucking cameraman by their throw? It's like oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, going to put someone's eye out with that? Yeah, um, yeah she was way over the. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I just the whole ending of the of the episode. You know, yeah, I would does. love to see like a fan it edit of this. Sort of, one of those ones, it just sort of stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know, I I I, I don't want to keep complaining about it because it's it's certainly not bad. Mm. You know, it it just it could have if it was not a really great story, badly executed, it wouldn't be as frustrating. As this could have been a really good episode, but they they there were so many just moments in there that just dragged the momentum of it down. Because the ending, sh- you know, one thing I'll say about Lovecraft is you know he'll take forever to get to the to the climax of a story, mm-hmm. but once it kicks in, it's like you've finally reached the top of the hill of the roller coaster and now you're heading down and it doesn't slow down until your, your lead character is insane or about to shoot himself. Um, but this one, you know, the, the roller coaster was heading down and then it just sort of stopped. (laughs) (laughs) And then it kind of went around a corner and then now we have this, this very convenient clock that tells us we only have two minutes left that we haven't seen for three episodes. Um, and now we've got, snakes all over the place that may or may not paralyze you unless you think about it and and this one at the bottom of the stairs that's standing guard really doesn't do much and you've got Thea in this really groovy closed eyes makeup thing and and you've got Steiner or whatever, whatever St- Styles yeah. Stahl Stahl whatever um, you know that, that I, I understand that Doctor Who has always walked this fine line between being for the kids and and being for adults. But all of the menace that should have been in that pentagram room scene was totally drained. And it was so clear that it was part of the not in front of the children act. Um, that, you know, we, we don't see, you know, style is like, oh, this isn't working for me, doctor. Give me the gun so I can kill myself. And I'm like, Why? You, I haven't seen anything go that bad yet. And then the doctor hands him the gun, which again we're in the the running, jumping, climbing trees and murder doctor here. Uh, so he gives him the gun and walks away. And then we don't even hear a gunshot. We, they just cut back to him laying on the floor and like, did he kill himself? What happened? Oh, there was a gunshot. Uh, really, I missed yeah, it. Once he gets to the top, of the, once the doctor gets to the top of the stairs. I mean, it's not. See, this is sort of like the like BBC firearms, I like to call them. You know, it's like in American like pr- productions when like a gun gets fired, it's like a <laughs> but like in like B- like BBC sort of stuff, it's more like a <laughs> which is it's like it sounds more like a cap gun. 
than yeah. anything else. Um, but no, I, I guess because of all, I guess it got lost in all the other sound effects. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's true. But um, it's actually I think it, it's one of the really more darker aspects of um, the fourth Doctor that he just sort of like like he knows there's nothing he can do to help Style, and he, he like begrudgingly obliges to his final wish. And I think there was it was supposed to be shot so you actually see Style put the gun to his head or, or into his mouth or something. And then obviously it cuts yeah. away because you're not actually going to see him blow his brains out. Yeah. But um, just the There fact was some that, consternation about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but just the fact that it happens is actually one of the really more like darker aspects of this story. And this, is, this image of the Fendal is really sort of like the last of the gothic horror Doctor Who stories, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. Um, it is, yeah. You're right. Um, so, yeah, um, and I th- and I think uh, I think why um, in in the, in terms of the story that the Fendal isn't is doing as much as it's been disrupted. It's supposed to be part of a gestalt, so it's supposed to be like twelve Fendaline and the core, so make up thirteen. With Stahl yeah. killing himself, its power's not fully like realized. So I think that's probably why it's. I mean, yes, it, I'm not, like, dismissing your um, complaints that it's got that dragged down, but because it, it does, it does sort of, like, you know, there's a bit where um, Thea is the, the core sort of, like, slowly, like, fades in a bit while the Doctor and Leela are trying to escape, and then they just sort of, like, shield their eyes a bit and run through, and then you just hear Louis, um, Leela say off camera, we did it, you know, it's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then some debris falls from the ceiling. It's like, yeah, it could have... I mean, then again, you're working to a BBC budget, so yeah, you, you've got like difficulties trying to sort of like scale up the sort of the climax, as it were. And then you have sort of like the reverse shots of explosions and Dudley Simpson's music going, getting played backwards. And I actually kind of got a kick out of that. Mm. I, that impressed me because it was you know simple but effective. Yeah, because you know the the doctor said he set up a, a, a an implosion. implosion. Yeah. And so they did. They imploded as best they could. That I that I appreciated. It reminded me of something, and I'm trying to remember what it was in in New Who, and I can't remember which Doctor. There was an episode that took place. I'm I'm wondering if they used the same building for the exterior. Am I crazy about that? Well, this is was it Stargrove Mansion? Um, yeah, is it? It's the Priory, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that it appeared in uh, Pyramids of Mars. Um, yeah, it's the the same building. Mick okay. Jagger's house. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Um, but I can't. Th- um, maybe it is Pyramids of Mars. I'm thinking. Right. I just it just really I was like I I've seen that building in another episode. Mm. <laughs> it's not unusual because they have they have obviously reused these sort of buildings. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, gents, can I ask just an overall question a little bit? Um, Please. Now, especially for Rick, because obviously now you've seen, obviously you haven't seen, a, you know, every episode of Doctor Who, but for, you, you've seen a few mm-hmm. um, over a few different eras. So my question is, is this sort of story, this gothic, Lovecrafty thing, is this a good look for Who? Is oh, this absolutely. the sort of thing that, is this the sort of thing you want to see from Who, or should it be more, um, it should, it you know, the gothic, it got too gothic at this point, is what I'm wondering. No, that's, that's. I loved that aspect of this. Uh, you know, mm. I do like gothic horror. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think atmospheric spookiness is great, especially for a show like Doctor Who, because, you know, like you said, this does a wonderful job of of explaining so many human myths and, and fears and stuff. Um, you know, I would love to see maybe not necessarily a retelling of this, but something like this done with modern sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with they the, have with had the... a go at it a few times, haven't they? I mean, like yeah. the one that pops to mind is oh god, what's that eleventh Doctor one with the the haunted haunted one? That's that, that uh, the one where it's the the monster yeah. that's in another dimension and isn't really yeah. a monster. Right. Yeah, I yeah. thought of that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, because the reason why I ask this is because obviously Doctor Who is, it can be lots of different things. It's mm-hmm. sci-fi, it's fantasy, it's it's lots of things. But you, unless it's explicitly like a capital H horror sci-fi show, mm-hmm. a lot of sci-fi programs don't really do a lot of this. I mean, because there's no. not a lot of it in Star Trek, for instance. No. Well, there's one and it's stupid as hell. <laughs> well, I mean, the one that pops in my mind, I mean, not gothic-y, but I mean, there there was one gothic-y one, the, the fucking one in Voyager, the, the shitty one. Um, um, and no, 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 no. I think cause there's that one where that that period that Janeway went through when she was uh, had that holodeck program oh, yeah. where she's like a Victorian governess and they tried oh, to do like yeah. a kind of a gothic-y type one in there. And then there's the, the one that p- p- pops straight to my mind is the, cha- uh, the chase, where they had, um, you know, the, 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 you know, the Klingon scientists and all the other scientists, and they find out there's that origin species mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. in Next Gen, yeah, and uh, it gets a hilarious reaction out of the, the Klingon scientists, like, bullshit! <laughs> yeah. um, um, I, I, I thought you were going to bring up Subrosa. <laughs> I Actually, don't I, want to bring up Subrosa. Yeah, we don't want to. <laughs> now, what I was thinking of was was Cat's Paw from from TOS. Oh, true. Yeah. Just, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that was that was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, was but, a I mean, misguided. <laughs> I mean, considering that you know that uh, Star Trek and Doctor Who have like comparably long histories mm-hmm. and um, examples of doing many different types of stories within their framework, it just always surprises me that Star Trek hasn't gone full Lovecraft on some of these things. No, I, I mean, think, you know, it, I think they need more cosmic horror. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's it's a matter of um, and both shows suffer from uh, uh, studio slash network censorship. Mm. Um, you know, you, there's with with Star Trek, especially from TNG onward, it was always in syndication, so there wasn't necessarily a network calling the shots, but. There was also a let's not get too out there or no one will buy the show hmm. uh, aspect of it. Um, I think that the BBC certainly are traditionally more willing to go darker than American television. Um, I think that's just a- our sensibilities, isn't it? We're just yeah. a miserable, we're a miserable yeah. <laughs> bunch of wankers, aren't we? Yeah. So it's not like uh, our lovely American cousins. I mean, because as well that um, at this time, because obviously. Uh, like folk horror was kind of in as well mm-hmm. because you had the wicker man and basically the works of amicus and and hammer yeah. as well which yeah. was very influential whereas um, in america that wasn't happening quite so much yeah well you, you know what surprised me about a punch they pulled in this episode is you know clearly there was there was an attempt at body horror with the fact that these human beings were being turned into fendaline mm-hmm. which you know, I understand from a from a, a you know a, a rational textual 
uh, uh, frame point. You know, that's why Steiner. Why I can't remember his name. Style. <laughs> style. Style. Imagine yelling it across it across a. Is I, it I sort style of do. Or st- I want anyway. to say it like a like sort of someone from Hello Hello and just go stall. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, you know, it was kind of like the 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 the, the Peter Parker thing um, in that everybody else just screamed and turned into a snake. He seemed perfectly fine when he said, "Oh, it's too late for me. Give me the gun." Um, but there was there was no clear. It, it was just a you know a crossfade transformation, if you will, from mm. from person to puppet. Whereas you know they like Ark in space did that beautifully with bubble wrap and a big fly head but it's i'm remembering right the guy was turning into one of the yes, the graph yeah. right the yeah. weirin the weirin yeah. yes mm-hmm. um so it it's not like they haven't done it before yeah i know i know what you mean like there's there's no actual sense of metamorphosis yeah yeah, like, and, no, and nothing... like nobody else had a chance to go. Oh, this sucks! I really don't want to do this now. <laughs> then again, I mean they're they're part of the cult, and they sort of like you know, Tedmos says, yeah, exactly. They, they know the old way, so it's like this is your lot, and so it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> um, whereas I think Style was was like wanting to tap into the power of the Fendal while still remaining human. Like, he wanted his yeah. cake and to eat it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, getting back to, like, Star Trek and Doctor Who, I think the difference why Star Trek hasn't really done, like, the gothic horror stuff as much is because it is primarily a future-based show, um, whereas True. Doctor Who is time travel. So it can be anywhere and anywhere. So, you know, you could even land on... That the, the Doctor and company land on a planet where it is still... It's, like, very Earth-like, but it's still in its, like gothic victorian period as sort of like a, an analog true yeah now, I, I, do, I mean look, yeah go on, carry on right go on. oh I'm, I'm gonna go in a different direction so if you had a, a yeah, response go for it. No, 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 no 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 okay uh i did look up louise jameson's uh pedigree as it were because i only know her from doctor who mm-hmm. um and she's done a lot of other stuff over there she how has. how regarded is she as an actor in old blighty um I only thing I would say is she hasn't been she hasn't done a lot of telly recently, so mm. I feel like she hasn't kind of ascended to the point of national treasure, no. which mm. is kind of I mean, but I feel like if if she's in something, people will really she kind of I think occupies a sort of similar space to do you know Olivia Coleman? She's in Broadchurch and about a bazillion other things, Rick. I probably would know her to see her if I uh... yeah. So I would say she's kind of in that bracket mm-hmm. of kind of venerable like i don't want to say older older lady actors but i mean kind of ladies in their 50s and 60s who are kind of uh um you know do that kind of occupy those sort of roles but i mean most people here will know her from eastenders now because mm. uh, she was in eastenders for many years um playing sort of a matriarchal character yeah. and that, um, that's a soap opera right that is yes, yes. okay so I feel, but I feel like that um, you know a lot of people. There, there's kind of like that generational thing. Doctor Who fans and older people will know her from Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Sort of people, kind of twenties, thirties, will know her from EastEnders. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, she she's sort of fairly well known. I mean, there was. I mean, there she has done a lot of other. If you ever get a chance to watch uh, the Omega Factor, I think it is that she was in yes. that's pretty that's pretty good stuff mm-hmm. it's kind so, um, of a think of sapphire and steel kind of thing but not that they're not aliens yeah it's kind okay. of like a proto x-files almost yeah. oh okay 
Yeah. yeah. It only lasted like it only like twelve episodes. Obviously, Britain. Oh, ten. Um, yeah. Ten. Ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's definitely worth checking out if you can uh, if you can get hold of it because it was she made it after after uh, Doctor Who, and um, it's one of those things that sort of part. It's kind of not at the time was kind of got lost in the shuffle, but now is kind of regarded with uh, with much more affection. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I can't get enough of her, so I'll I'll have to check that out. I, I don't yeah. know if I'll be able to brave EastEnders if it's available over here. No, don't. Worry. I mean, because it's one of those things of. I mean, it, you know, she sort of came in as part of a story. If you haven't, it's one of those things of with soap operas. If you haven't seen, you know, the kind of preceding two years, it kind of makes no sense. And, yeah. <laughs> you know. So. Uh, but yeah, EastEnders is uh, it's 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 a big soap here. I mean, because we have ones that have run longer and and things like that. But uh, it's it's the London-based one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, kind of in my neck of the woods, it is kind of the soap opera. Whereas where more Mike's area of of the world, it's more Coronation Ninja Street. Street. Yeah, yeah, which is Emma more set. Well. Uh, Emma, mm, I don't <laughs> like Emmerdale. It's boring. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um yeah <laughs> uh, um so that's kind of where the north south divide kind of comes in between us because i probably uh, I, I was watching eastenders back when louise jameson was on it so i kind of remember her character from it quite well she used to run the calf <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i think you know in in a nutshell i would love to see image of the fendal done as like maybe a tv movie uh Mm. you know or something like that where it's one 90 minute story with a budget big enough to make the monster scary uh you wouldn't even necessarily have to it wouldn't even necessarily have to be doctor who uh you know i don't think that this is this is one of those stories that yes the doctor saves the day as always but he didn't necessarily have to be there yeah, that's um, true. You know, this could have I been tweaked just the, a little bit. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is one of those ones that it, it kind of would have happened either way, regardless, without the Doctor and things like that. <laughs> it does have that certain element to it. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, you kind of do hope to to see these things kind of redone but in a, in a certain way. But I will say there are some things out there that um, they've had a go at doing them. Uh, again like did you ever see like i don't know because it was broadcast here um sort of because they had a go at doing redoing quite a mass which is not a dissimilar kind of story to image oh, of the fend now but they did it live. live yeah yeah that was the one uh, and it had david, david tennant in it yeah yeah, yeah before that. he was the doctor yes mm-hmm. so that's worth checking out if you can find it rick um huh. I mean, obviously, it won't, you know, uh, it was, there's one bit of it that doesn't work because, like I say, they were broadcasting it live and one of the effects doesn't work Mm. (laughs) in the broadcast. (laughs) So you do get a little bit of, oh, what's going on? But I mean, other than that, it actually works really well. And uh, that's definitely worth checking out. And didn't they do an Afer Andromeda redo as well? They did, yeah. Yes, that's worth having a look at as well. Okay. Yeah, I have I have flirted with the thought of trying to track down Quatermass for many times uh, over the past decade. I've never seen it. No, <gasps> dude. You, I mean, uh, yeah. There, there's a bit in Quatermass that scares me every single time. <laughs> Is it a movie or a series? The movies. There's oh, movies. Oh, okay. I I thought it was like a I similar was, to Blake Seven. I thought it was a series. I thought I thought it was like a six parts. Well, I mean, it's like a long. 
thing, essentially, isn't it? Mm. It's like a... Because, I mean, there's one of the things that my nan, bless her, used to tell me that, uh, you know, tell you about sort of the old days. And she said that uh, when the first Quater Mass was on, because obviously this is a time when, uh, you know, there was only a few TVs and most people used to just go to the pub for the evening and things, mm-hmm. that, you know, the cinema would be empty, the pub would be empty, everyone would be home watching Quater Mass. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, that... that period in in history for for british television is a little confusing to me because you've got quatermass you've got blake seven you've got what is it the tomorrow people am i is that there around i mean the quite same a, time because quatermass is a bit odd because it was on very sporadically so like the first mm-hmm. quatermass was before doctor who started yeah oh and really then, quatermass, like, quatermass, ex- quatermass to experiment yeah quatermass experiment was 53 1953 yeah. that was. Oh wow. Quatermass 2 was 55. Quatermass and the Pit was 5859. And then there was another Quatermass. Which one was that? Oh, right, so I don't know what the... Oh yeah, the Quatermass Conclusion or Quatermass 4 which was 1979. I yeah, think so you have now loads. put your finger on why I didn't watch Quatermass because I started looking into it and I couldn't figure out which the <laughs> in one, yeah. so yeah i would say the, the og quite a match the 53 one is 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 good stuff um obviously they sort of there is kind of um you know like uh, it does vary in quality is like the one in the quite that's four is a bit so um but yeah they, that's why you're kind of they, they sort of don't match up because the tomorrow people and blake seven was mm-hmm. way later in the 70s okay. um tomorrow people is oh dear um a variable quality i will say but it's kind of like homo superior has kind of emerged it's the next stage in evolution mm-hmm. and you know it's basically there's a lot of teenage things in it you know like <laughs> yeah. teenage it's basically like a big puberty allegory and <laughs> you know so it's a lot of you know learning he-man style moral lessons you know in <laughs> things i mean there's like oh there's one episode that makes me crack up every time it's like one of the because they're in sort of like a special like it, area and you know because obviously they all hang out together all the tomorrow people and there's one of the kids i think it's called mike who decides to go out dressed like a nazi <laughs> oh. and there's a big thing about why we don't wear swash stickers and it's not cool i mean because there's that thing in the 70s about old punk kids used to wear swash stickers and mm-hmm. all this sort of thing in this country and yeah it was um yeah and Oh God! I mean, but it, I will say, if you can get hold of a DVD to watch, the commentaries on them are hysterical. I mean, literally, there's the, on the, one of Chuck's DVDs. There's a sticker on it says the funniest commentaries on for TV <laughs> ever. You know, um, so yeah, the Tomorrow People. I mean, famously as well has an episode of Peter Davison wearing nothing but a blonde wig and very, very tiny spandex pants. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's a little bit of um, you know an acquired taste from our people, I will say. So yeah, but there is a bunch of different sci-fi which was on sort of contemporaneously with Doctor Who, mm-hmm. uh, but quite a mass precedes all of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you know, l- lest I leave this episode with y'all thinking that this was you know painful to watch, it was not. Um, and of course. To me, the the saving grace of this episode was Leela. She just Louise Jameson steals the show, and doing stealing the show from Tom Baker is a feat. Um, <laughs> yeah, especially in here because he's you can definitely see he's doing his more sort of like improvisational sort of bits. You know, when he says to um, Colby as he's heading down to the basement, remember three minutes, and he holds up four fingers. Yeah, 
Also, when they're staking out the priory, and um, he like pops out of a bush with a bit of leaf in his mouth and spits it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I the the all of the scenes with Mrs. Tyler are great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the lows aren't bad enough to to ruin the highs. I just I just really wish this was you know tightened up. If it had been three instead of four, I think it would have been perfect. Mm. But you know, if wishes were horses, so you know it is what it is, or it is what it was. Uh, you know, I can certainly see the diamond through all of the all of the the rough that surrounds it in this episode. Um, you know, it's it's not in any way painful, uh, and you know, I'll I'll watch Leela anytime. So, mm-hmm. and and of course, and Tom Baker too. He's mm-hmm. you know he's still my favorite doctor. I think. Yeah, that actually, I'm not. I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's fair. I mean, I, I think sort of maybe part of the problem is, you know, well, two episodes ago we were talking about Mask of Mandragora, and like you say, they're they're quite similar. So, um, yeah, I, I I hear you. It's fine, but I, I still like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like it as well. I mean, because just my just my sensibilities and the sort of things mm-hmm. I like. Um, this is kind of all of it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I I I still really I've I've got a lot of uh, affection for this one still, but I understand all your criticisms, Rick, are entirely valid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it you know it is kind of too long and there is padding in it and not all of it makes sense, but uh, yeah, I I do like it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. Let us know your thoughts. You can email us at greatershow at simplysyndicated.com, tweet us at greatershowpod, or you can visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash greatershowpodcast. We invite you to visit simplysyndicated.com and check out our many sister shows on the network, and as always, we welcome your support. The best way you can help us out is by signing up to Simply Everything. A monthly fee of just £6 gives you access to ad-free versions of current shows, a library of podcasts from the network's archives, and shows that are exclusive to the service. We also have a merchandise store that offers apparel and accessories to both Europe and America. We also have a Patreon, and you can donate to the network through PayPal, of which links to both are on the bottom of the website. So that being said, thank you very much, Rick. My pleasure, thank you. And thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. And until next time, take care and bye-bye. <laughs>